Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Okay, welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, good to be back talking to you. I know we missed last week. It's been a very traumatic week for you and your family. Uh, You lost your father-in-law. I know your wife is devastated. And all of this brings up issues around life and death. And we see how people react to these situations. We see the trauma it creates. In some cases, we see the drama it creates. And there are questions about what this all means. Because as we were talking earlier, we go through life and life is this constant series of activities. It's just constant movement from one minute to the next to the next. Part of that is just the functioning of the human body. We have to breathe. uh, The heart has to beat. Part of it is the routines that we have, uh, the check-ins with the family, the work that we do, uh, the meal times, things as simple as making a bed or brushing your teeth. It's just relentless activity. In fact, I remember, I believe it might have been in the Gita where Krishna was explaining the nature of, of being human, of being alive. And he said that the nature of life is constant movement. And you can free yourself from that movement if you don't attach yourself to it, if you're not attached to the result. But there's no way to stop the movement. That activity, that constancy has to be there. It is the defining characteristic of being alive. And as we're talking today, we're talking about If you have that constancy, and we know that at some point it's going to end for all of us, we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be that last day. We'll take that last breath. Everything about our life will cease. And that's something that that we just don't appreciate, or many of us, myself included at times, we don't have that constant awareness that at some point this is all going to come to an end. And the implication of that is that whatever the hell we're doing day to day, we better enjoy it because this is it. This is it. You think about your routines. You think about getting up in the morning. You think about commuting. uh, You think about getting ready, shaving, putting on clothes, getting dressed up, going out to dinner, the arguments, the squabbles, filling out your tax forms, sitting in traffic, being in line, whatever it is, that constant series of activity is life. That's all we've got. And there are ups and downs. There are things that seem more profound. There are things that might seem dull. But that collection of moments, that constant movement is life. And one day it's going to be gone. So let's make sure that when we are here, we are immersed in that constancy. And the movements that we have, the routines that we have, we're present for those routines. We're present in the moments. We are, even if we're not ravingly happy about whatever we're doing. We've got some quiet gratitude, some appreciation for just the process of being alive, uh, for that continuous movement that we are experiencing, that rhythm, you know, almost a different kind of a heartbeat as we go through life. Because if we're not present and we're not doing things that are giving our lives meaning, then we're in this netherworld as we've talked about. Z, I forget the term you used. I think of it as a purgatory where our mind is somewhere else, we're preoccupied, we're on the cell phone, or we're consumed by fear, we're consumed by anxiety, or we're planning too much because ultimately we're worried about death. And different psychologists have said that ultimately all fear 
is somehow related to that fear of death at a subconscious level. And if we're too obsessed about it, we're too worried about it, we're too careful, then we're not really living. So we're alive, but we're not living. And we're in this state of not being alive and not being dead. We're in this purgatory. And then it's almost like, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of dying if you're not even alive? So the time that we have, I think any time we go through this experience where we lose someone who is close to us, it's an opportunity to reflect and and consider what life really means. Uh, and it's not just these incredible highs. It's not a constant series of higher peaks. Uh, there are ups and downs, there are ebbs and flows. A lot of it is just boring stuff. But given an awareness of the finite nature of life and the fact that boring stuff or basic routines or constancy takes up 99% of our life, let's make sure that we're getting some value out of it, that we're appreciating it. If we're doing things that are causing us pain, let's stop doing those. Let's get in the right headspace so that we can just live in a way that feels vital, that feels fundamental. And we exit this world with nothing left undone, as you've said in the past with nothing outstanding, with no debt that we want to collect, with no sense of regret because I didn't do this or I didn't do that or I didn't really live. So whether it's just being in the moment, we have to consider that, or it's doing things that awaken us, that inspire us, that connect us, make sure we build those into life, build that into the constancy and the routines. That's how I think about it, Z, uh, this concept of, of constancy, uh, this need to have an awareness of the day-to-day -day activity and make sure we infuse it with something meaningful. I want to hand it over to you. Those are just my opening thoughts. How do you think about life and how do you think about this concept of constant movement or constancy as we've been calling it? Yeah, Vin, I want to share, answer that question by sharing um, a thought that I was inspired when just listening to you now and for all the folks that follow us on our podcast um, let's sit down and, and consider this for a minute. I'm watching Caitlin uh, you know, texting and, and doing the random things we do. And I just reflected on a moment when my um, father-in-law was, um, was, was leaving this plane, uh, when his body was shutting down and, and the, the show in this realm is over. And I thought about if we were to reverse engineer from the cessation of life, to the constancies that we call life. If we reverse engineered from the moment of death and walked backwards. So you're keystroking your phone, that's life. You're having thoughts about whatever you're doing. You got to get up and go get some water. All these little things are quantized, or are, are these little things are, are, are the quantized quantums of life. Every little thing is life. And because there are so many things, it's hard to be aware of what is life. Because all these little things, if you start taking them away one by one, there are thousands of little things that I'm going to share with you guys, different experiences I've had with those who are leaving. And it came to me, Vin, just listening to you, that there's a formula. And so when my father-in-law was going, let's say the week, let's, let's look at the week. And then I'm going to talk about some other people. So 
he goes and gets um, dental work. Um, but even going further back than that, a few years ago he had a heart attack and a few other health issues. Uh, we resuscitated, I resuscitated, him, got him in the hospital. They said, hey, you got, you got a lot of health issues. So I said, let's get on this major health program. Let's try and stretch it out five more years, whatever. He was, yeah, 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 but I got a lot of stuff to do. I said, well, Daddy, you're going to have to rest a little bit, Daddy G, and do that. I said, nah, I got, I got a lot of stuff to do. I'm going to take my wife around the country. I'm going to do all these kinds of things. And I disagreed with that because I wanted to kind of stretch his life out, and I felt if he got rest or if he, uh, if he took more pauses, he could go into an anabolic cycle and the body could recover more. But I guess he knew better, and he wanted to get everything done in a very short window of time, in which he did. But here's some things that happens, and it's happened to everyone if they do it over a process. I'm not talking about violent or sudden deaths. That's another story. Your constants start to go down. You go from hundreds of thousands of activities in a day to thousands of activities a day, and then hundreds, and then tens of activities. Example is, when he got his tooth extracted, he was having health problems. That's one too many, so he withdrew a little bit. Just stopped doing a lot of things because he was not in pain. Then he had a minor stroke, right? The defenses are going down. So he wasn't talking as much. He would drive around, do those. He stopped driving, you see? So we're taking away all these little constants driving here and there. Why would he drive places? Well, he had to get to this market or that market or visit. All those things went away. Everything associated with driving around went away, right? Those are all things that make up life. And then finally, um, he was hospitalized and my wife bent heaven and earth to get him out of the hospital. He didn't want to be in the hospital, but he didn't want feeding tubes and all that kind of stuff. So now he has no appetite. Then his thirst went away. So thirst, appetite, driving his car, running his errands, all that started to withdraw. Then when he got home, he started having trouble going to the bathroom, getting to the bathroom because it's very difficult for him to move. So he surrendered his dignity, which was a really big dump of the life quantums, right? All those quantized things. So when your dignity is gone, it's almost like um, the bucket that holds all these pieces of life just empties. And you could see in his face the demoralization of the body, right? Like this body is it's just not cutting it anymore and all the things. Then it was about lying down. He used to listen to the music and watch the news and comment on that. Now there's nothing. He just prefers to listen to spiritual hymns from his childhood and from his religious organization. Then he would greet everyone that came in and give them a smile. Then the smile went away and he would just greet. Then the greetings went away and he would just lie there and make light eye contact. Then that went away. And then the vitals started to go slower. The heartbeat started to go lower. The respiration got lower. And then the life ended. So if I reverse engineer all of that with all the people that I've known and I've had the fortune or misfortune of being with, it follows the same pattern. In the more violent deaths, all that happens instantly. There's a catastrophic 
intrusion into the vessel of the body, life force leaves, the cessation of all activity is immediate. Yet it's all the same thing. Those things that we quantize it are life. Now, once that has all happened, the reality of the emptiness of life comes because you were just doing a lot of different things. Were they meaningful? And that's where I believe that that idea of a soul energy, whatever you want to call it, of divinity, of grace, is really an opportunity for all of us. Do, you, do we do things in our constant, in the millions of constants that we have that make up life, that are really meaningful? So that when that day comes, when that bucket of items that we do, when we have to, when we have to throw it all out, when we have to purge the activities, what did you do in this world? What were we doing if it came suddenly and, and horrifically or if it came over a few days like in the case of my father-in-law or with my best friend, nine months of cancer? And it was the same thing with my best friend. It was the same thing with my teacher. My dad my brother were different. Those were violent, horrific, sudden deaths. In the military, violent, horrific, sudden deaths. But there is, a, there is a common theme, is that life are all the little things we do, all these things that we quantize in a day. And then when this, the cessation of life is when that quantum of life is gone. And for some, it is human dignity. And when your dignity as a human being is gone, when you can't care for yourself, the bucket completely empties. That's why so many people beg not to be on life support and all these because they're already gone, but they're, they're, we're holding on to their carcass or their shell. And that's for the living. That's for the fear of us. That's us afraid of death, afraid of losing part of ourselves to the inevitable, which is really unenlightened. It is inevitable. That's a shame. The inevitable is coming. So there are many people who have done their due diligence and said, no, I have a, um, I have final request. I have all the paperwork done, so if I'm in this position, you do not do extraordinary things to keep my shell going that encases the sentiment, the memory, and the energy of me. So I think about my life and, and our lives, and one of the reasons I said to you earlier, I really think that if you want to strive for a long and vital life, don't focus solely on the vehicle of life. Focus on the essence of life. What did you do? And you don't have to be famous. You don't have to do crazy shit. You don't have to be a celebrity or whatever it is in any way. But did you live your life? Were those things that quantize your life, were they colorful? Were they fragrant? Did they have a lot of story in them? If we, when that bucket is empty, what will it look like? Will it look like Glitter and boom, bang, or will it just look like sludge? Because we all end up the same way. It all ends. But how? What choices did you make? When you were clicking the switches and checking the dials and re-indexing the navigation equipment on your vehicle, did you go anywhere? Did you meet anybody? Did you touch anyone's life? Did you learn a lesson? Did you share a lesson? Did you give it your best 
Did you cheat? Did you play fair? All of that are those things that we, those quantums of life that make it living. And when we discard this shell, when this vehicle is no more, when this dilapidated cart has to be discarded, what was in it that made it worth moving it around? What was in it that made it worth it? And, and that's the lesson I gained from all of these experiences. And one of the tragedies I see with all of this is people seem not to get it. Many of the mourners wanted to relive the moment of death. You think he could have lived longer? You think it, we could have got more time? For who? For you? The man was in pain. He lived a, a, a wonderful life. He did everything he wanted to do. He lived many years after his heart attack and a few other health crises that he had, right? As I witnessed, I was a party to that. I was right there. Three years ago, he shouldn't have made it. I would celebrate the fact that he gave us more time to hang out with this pretty cool dude. Left a wonderful legacy. Apparently, he sponsored 150 families to the United States. Everybody that knew him said the same story. He lived a hell of a life. That was a hell of a run. That's what, what you call a good run. That was a good road trip. And he will be remembered in many ways. What does that say about us? All of us who fear life and we're planning, we have these big death insurance policies, which is the craziest thing, life insurance. Why would you want that? Why would you? you know, let's have party insurance. Let's have something we can use all of our money and we die broke. You want to leave something to your kids? Let them know while you're alive, this is what you got. So start budgeting it out now. Okay, whatever it is. I just, I, I just think we have a bizarre blind spot when it comes to the inevitable. If you want to, I talk to people all the time. Every day people leave in L.A. I had a kid today. Somebody told me, every, every day somebody tells me they're leaving L.A., getting out of California. Kid came in a day, nice kid I work with, said, hey, Z, I'm, I'm going to be leaving next month, L.A. I'm, I'm going to Florida. I got a business opportunity. I said, kid, get the hell out of here. Get out of here. Hit the road, Jack. Live your life. Try something. So when it's your day, when they're getting ready to discard your vehicle, you got a little smile. They're going to have to like, you know, when you, you manipulate the dead body. You got to take you have to take a smile off his face. Make him look sad. You're gonna have to like break his jaw when the of the corpse to make him look sad. And it's like, hey, I had a great life. And for those who are worried about heaven or hell or the different layers of heaven and the, all the discussions and the yogis had different layers of, of the astral plane, apparently you get there by doing good stuff in life. You have to be amusing to get to the higher levels of heaven in, in all these religions. I don't, know, I don't know what to believe or not to believe because nobody's ever come back. Uh, there is a funny story in the Autobiography of Yogi about Sri Kateshwar. So Yogananda's teacher is dying. And he knows the end is near because when you practice yoga and tai chi and all that, you pretty much know. Uh, most days I feel like I'm dying if I can't just get away from these kids that are bothering, you know, uh, Caitlin, them giving me hell. 
And then, but then I get home, I feel rejuvenated and I feel alive again. But when, <laughs> so anyway, these yogis and these sadhus and so forth, they train to go into mahasamadhi so they know when that energy is out and they can release, consciously release themselves from the encasement of this vessel. So Sri Yukateshwar is doing his meditation to release himself into Mahasamadhi. And right before he does it, he gives everybody clear instructions on how to run the ashram. Right? Real clear instructions. This is how things are going to work. Here's who's in charge of this. Here's who's in charge of that. And we're going, and then now I'm going to go and meditate. I love you all. This will be the last time. I will speak to you in, in, in a humanly presence. Uh, then you discard my body, get rid of it for the funeral pyre, go burn me up over there by the Kali God or whatever you're going to burn me up or whatever you're going to do. But let me leave you with instructions for your sake. You can do whatever you want to do, but for your sake, if you follow my instructions, you can run the business well. You can run the ashram. So, of course, as soon as he goes into what appears to be a state of death, no heartbeat, he's gone, the doctor declared him dead, everybody's crying. And, Immediately an argument starts over what he just said. So they're down there arguing over what Sri Yukateshwar said. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, he said this. No, he said that. I heard him. I'm, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. And they go up and they're arguing and suddenly they hear noise in his room. He's up putting on his clothes saying, look, you guys, I was just about to go to the next plane. I heard you arguing. I had to come back in my body and instruct you guys. They were all terrified. He reincarnated himself, redid the instruction, don't make me come back or it's not going to be fun this time. And they all did what he told them to do and he went on and, and left his body. That was cool. So there are many witnesses that say that that happened, but I wasn't there, uh, but, so I, but I like the source. And I'm saying for all of us, the lesson that I have learned from being the audience to the transition, to being a witness to that, is that death is final and is the cessation of action and constancy. Life is opportune, temporary, and constant in that, in that movement. When that stops, the show is over. So what did you do? What are you doing every day? What are the things you do? So there are some of the things we don't even wear. You're walking around, you're, you're maintaining the body, you're exchanging energy. What are you doing? And we see now that there's a crisis of depression, of suicide, where people are so dissatisfied with life that they want to escape it on their own terms. What makes life so horrible you want to escape it? Imagine these young people who are suicidal or these people who are taking fentanyl with the risk of ending their life and so forth because life no longer has value. Because what is life? What are the constants? Well, sitting there and, and, and doing um, keystrokes on your smart device and the immersion in that, when you raise your head up, you haven't really done anything. Your mind has been on an adventure, but you haven't done anything. Uh, a lot of lonely people, because people aren't really connecting. And it makes living the constants you're doing 
colder, less colorful, because you don't have partner, you don't have people around you, you don't have friends. So maybe if we think about life in that way, we can live more. Also, embracing death completely allows us to live completely. We are not promised tomorrow, but we are promised death. We are promised that. When, who knows, but you, you're guaranteed to get it. That is in your bank account, certainly. But life is something that we have to work towards. We have to maintain. The constant is movement. It's energy. It's expression. Well, those are some of my thoughts on it, Vin. What do you think? It brings to mind a lot of things, Z. One, I'm thinking of a story in my family, and you just talked about embracing death. My mom's cousin, who she was very close to, they grew up together. In fact, my, my grandmother raised her because her own mom died when she was very young. So she and my mom were very close, uh, roughly the same age. And she was always this, this woman who was very caring, very loving, had a family, her two sons around my age. So I got, to, I mean, I, I knew her. She was a constant presence in my life when I was growing up. Uh, but we have a history of cancer on that side of the family, and she got cancer. And she battled this for seven years off and on. It went away, and then it came back. And then finally, she died relatively young. I think she was 58. So we went to the the, I don't know what you, what you would call it, but after we had the services, uh, we had a, a get-together at, at my cousin's place. And you had different people who were coming and, and just sharing stories of, uh, of my aunt and her life. And one of her best friends shared the story, which I thought was so powerful. It was a letter. She actually wasn't there. She couldn't be there, but she'd written a letter to be read. And the letter said, Uma, your entire life, you were worried about getting cancer. It was the biggest fear that you had in life. And once you finally got it, you were free. You were free to just live. And it's true because I'd known her my entire life. And again, she'd always been this very warm person, but there was something hanging over her. There was this pall of anxiety like she was holding something back, you know, that almost like a, a light, which was not that the light was dim, but there was something over the light, something impeding it. And after she was diagnosed with cancer, you could see the transformation. Everyone around her saw it. I mean, she had the seven year period where she just blossomed and she brought so much incredible energy to the people around her. She uplifted everyone around her. She was she was cool. She was free. She was flowing. She was part of the Ramakrishna mission. And some of the monks over there after her death said that, yeah, you know, even for us, we've spent our entire lives immersed in the spiritual environment. And we, we've never gotten to the place that Uma has gotten to. We, we never had just that. I don't even know what you would call it. The je ne sais quoi, the, the, the spirit the the freedom of self and being that that she'd attained and and she was able to attain it Z because 
she finally dropped that fear. She kind of she finally let go of everything that that was clouding her and taking her mind out of the here and now that, that was hanging over her, that was causing her to worry about the future, worry about death, worry about what might happen, and that fell away and almost like clouds parting in front of the sun that that freed her and and her light uh, just illuminated everything around her. So that's what I think of, and that's part of what we're talking about with constancy, where nothing really changed in terms of her day-to-day routine. She still had family very close to my cousins, close to her husband. She had her friends. She had a, a simple life. I mean, they they traveled a little bit, but not not that much. She, she didn't do anything that was so extraordinary in terms of going to incredible parties or events. Her life before and after, in terms of the routines, was almost identical. Maybe she spent a little more time at the at the mission. But very close, if you just look from the outside, you wouldn't have discerned a, a big difference in the before and after. But the fact that she was able to drop that fear changed everything. And it just transformed her experience of life. So th- that's what I think about, Z. You mentioned embracing death. Just fully embracing it, just fully accepting what's going to happen. Whatever challenges we have, having that that sense of surrender and courage, maybe, bravery. Like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to take me out. I don't know what the challenges are going to be, but whatever they are, I'm going to rise to them. I'm going to confront them head on and I'm going to have enough wherewithal and and confidence in myself that I know I can keep on moving forward. And with that attitude, that creates a certain freedom. I think it, it creates a freedom in two areas. One is we have the freedom to be present. We have the freedom to enjoy what's happening. The nature of our day-to-day interactions completely changes with that presence with that dissolution of of fear. And with the fear going, it it also might change the nature of the activities. So we're no longer trapped by routines, trapped by uncertainty, trapped by constant analysis. We don't take things so seriously. It's like we know we're all going to end up in the same place. We know this is the one shot that we have. So hell, why not live? Why not try something different? Why not do something that, that has some meaning that restores us, that gives something back to others. I guess that's what I think about, Z, when I hear when I hear your thoughts. Yeah, Vin, I'm going to tap into the spirit of Auntie Uma um, just for a moment. I, I, I felt her presence when you were talking, and I started to just think about all the time she was afraid of cancer. And once she got it, once she got bit by it, she was okay with it. It's like the fear of of anything, once you go into the fear, it no longer you're no longer afraid of it. And almost anything you do, uh, I, I can make a a lot of comparison. But I think about when you when you run track and field. There's a sprint. The longest sprint is the 400 meter sprint, and it's considered like the one of the hardest events in track and field. Why is running simply a quarter mile? 400 meters. Why is it so hard? Well, what happens is you take off just like you're running the 100-yard dash or the 100-meter dash. You take off 
and you, you, have, you have a strategy for every 100 meters and every half of that. So you have a 60 meter strategy, 100 meter strategy. Then you have the 180 meter strategy. Then you have that last curve strategy. Then you have the home stretch strategy. Why? Because there's a chemical phenomenon in the body where lactic acid builds up. And if you don't match your breathing, your cadence, everything, the lactic acid is so overwhelming at 300 meters that the body will actually lock up. And they call it rig, rigor mortis, just like a dead body. You get rig. And, or some people say that they get around the corner and literally a gorilla climbed off a flagpole and jumped on their back and they couldn't run anymore. So you train yourself to run through the, through the rig. You run past that gorilla. And once you do it a number of times, you become an expert at it. And you're no longer bound to that anymore. Never in life, again, do you ever succumb to fatigue that way. I think about the human life, right? Like the fear, all these things that prevent us from living and fully expressing ourselves. And like your aunt was able to fully express herself once it got her. And she was still here. Now, for the rest of the time I'm here, I'm going to be living. And in the amount of time you live doesn't matter. It's that you lived. It's the quality of your life. Whether you were a one-year-old and everybody adored you and loved you, or you lived 100 years old and you made a lot of friends, you're in the same position. If you're one-year-old and nobody ever knew you, if you're 100 years old and you lived in a cave, they had the same life. They had a life with no connection. So life has all these beautiful opportunities to express itself in a day, in a minute, in a century. And that's the beautiful choice that we have while we're in action and we're in constant living motion. I also think about the physics of death. And this is for all of us to just meditate on, all of our opt-outs all our community. So this is how it'll go for us if it's not a plane crash, car wreck, or you're murdered in a road rage event. You'll take your last breath. Within five, ten minutes after that breath, all neural activity will start, stop within five minutes. Eye flicking, twitching, any neural stuff stops. Blood flow has already stopped. The lungs will relax. The diaphragm relax. And there is a death rattle. <sighs> so the breath, the mechanism of breathing is gone due to gravity and atmospheric pressure. Gone. There's no resistance to that. Then as the minutes go by, the muscles will relax and the body becomes very limp because there's no more neural activity. No more neural activity. The body gets completely limp. And then another phenomenon starts happening because the blood isn't moving. The blood starts to turn to jello and then crystals. And the body gets hard and stiff. And at first, as it's cooling off, before it goes to whatever room temperature it is, the core temperature goes down. Any food, any boo-boo, any pee in you would just release because there's no more muscles. That was with the neuro. Once that empties, 
you'll start to harden, stiffen, because the blood becomes like jello, just like scabs. But there's no air, so it's not scabs inside. It's just hard, thick gel, like crazy glue. And that is when whoever cares for your body will position your body in a according way, and it gets harder and stiffer. The joints cannot move easily. You have to actually sometimes even break the bone. They'll get as hard as bone. And that is the vehicle you used to live in. A few hours after that, the gut bacteria starts to decay and it starts to stink. Then it starts to rot after about 10 hours. And then it starts to build up all the, everything that's trapped, every pocket in the body will fill with gases and it can bloat, even to the point of exploding from the pressure. The Buddha said the human body is a stinky bag that houses the soul. It is really true. So someone will cart you away and put you in a refrigerator to slow down decomposition. If you're of certain religions or faiths, they will slice you open, remove heavy organs, and replace them with cotton, sawdust, fix your face up, bring a makeup artist in, decorate your shell, and by the way, a very high fee. Um, there will be no dignity. You'll be butt naked. Many religions uh, in our process, we clean the body, we wash it, so... There's a dignity to that. The purpose of washing, cleansing, and positioning the body in, in certain uh, practices, such as Islam and Hinduism, it's not for the dead. The dead don't care. It's for the living to embrace the emptiness of human life. Children are there. Everyone is there. The kids touch the body. You shave them the way they were. And it gives you an opportunity to bestow upon the departed a dignity in your own heart. I was honored to wash and shave my father-in-law. I was honored, honored to help him bathe when he couldn't bathe. With uh, one of my professors, I slept at his feet. He died in my arms before his body Went to rigor mortis, we had already called, and they were awaiting his departure. And with his help of his best friend, his son, we carried his body to his uh, mortuary uh, vehicle. I found it such an honor, such an honor to, for me, to let them know and to remind me that you were loved. And if there is anything beyond looking, observing our humanity, like, hey, I love you. I'm glad you were here. That's what all those rituals are for. I would say anybody, if you have people you love, you should, you should, you would benefit. I shouldn't say what you should do, but you would benefit from reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Remember the Death Sutra. Share that with your loved one. Or just pretend when you're with them, when you're holding them, 
that they're dying and these are their last moments with you, what would you say? How would you hold them if you had one more minute with them or one more day? Practice that now because that day will come. And if you have that opportunity, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Because it says to us, the living, that we lived. I lived because I got to know you. I lived because I know your story. You shared it with me and it brought more of those quantums of life to me. And as you pass and discard this shell, I will remember you in this final act of dignity. In this final act. As I told you guys, when my day comes, get a half a gallon of gas, get some old clothes from the dumpster, and light that fire, and maybe even make s'mores as I burn. That would be the way. And when you watch me, if I'm from somewhere, I will let you know. If there is some way to speak from the eternity, it will not be a little butterfly floating around or it won't be, it'll be some major newspaper shit I will do. I guarantee that. Uh, letting all the people love me. If I go and you wonder about Z, I will give you a sign that is undoubtable. All right? I promise you that. But while we're here, we're going to live the hell out of this. Vin, you're going you're gonna to do a lion with the roar. You're gonna do. You're gonna work that. We're gonna. We're gonna have a great time, and we're gonna ride it till the wheels fall off. So when that day comes, it might be a tear in our eye, but if you're like, "Damn, what was great?" That's what it was with my father-in-law. I said, "Damn, it was, he did it. He did it. He freaking did it." But all my people, all my people, they're gone. They did it. They lived. For those of you who run around fear and death and making all these plans, you're wasting your time. Because when that moment comes, when, you, when that shell is hard and stiff and starting to stink, nothing mattered. Except that you had a good time. And the only thing that will last longer than you is the service you did for others. That's it. The bank's going to keep your money. They're going to steal your house. Your kids will have to fight in probate court. That's what's going to happen. If you're going to give people stuff, give it to them now. Because the government will steal it. There are a trillion dollars in unclaimed assets floating around. Did you know that? There are trillions of dollars in unclaimed assets. Oh, they're misspending that money. They know. So do all that. Don't worry about life insurance. If you need to do something, you need life insurance, just put it in my bank account. Just send it to me. When you're dead, I'll make sure it goes to a good cause. Yeah! Let's have fun, people. Let's be constant in our pursuit of a rich and meaningful life. Do not strive for fame and all this stuff. Just love. Just love, because if you're famous, you end up like Michael Jackson. If you're a nobody, you end up like Michael Jackson. If you're in the middle, you end up like Michael Jackson. Just a hole in a grave. We were, Daddy G was right by Michael Jackson, right over the hill from Michael Jackson. There's nothing there. He's on the YouTube. That's where he'll live forever. 
So I hope I live in your hearts forever, in the hearts of your children. And somewhere there'll be a little picture and they say, who is that crazy looking guy? Oh, that was Z. He was funny. He was weird. He was cool. And then 25, 25, somebody be doing Tai Chi. That's an interesting type of Tai Chi you're doing. Where'd you learn that? Long time ago. Then I'll do something to him. I'll kick him in the ass from the ether sphere. Just rush right through him, just like a horror movie. Foo! They say, oh my God. I'm going to do stuff like that. I'm practicing now. But that's it, Vin. Twenty twenty five is like three years away, so No, twenty five twenty five. That's how old I am. Twenty five twenty five. Might be prophecy, who knows? But twenty five twenty five, that's what I meant. All right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It looks like you got your plan all straightened away. You're going out with a bang. You figured out the afterlife, you're gonna haunt people, scare people. It sounds pretty cool. I can see why you're, ex- <laughs> why you're excited about it, <laughs> getting all fired up about death. But Because uh, I love yeah, life, some- and I, I have love in my life, and I, I have a lovely life. I have a lovely life, and I have wonderful people in my life, and I've had great adventures, and I look forward to those who I shared my life with to have more adventures before we kick the bucket. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think we can end where we started as we do sometimes. Uh, this whole idea of constancy, to me, as you're talking about going back to the beginning of our conversation, Z, where you were describing how there's this cessation of activity uh, from the gross to the subtle. I mean, it starts with the routines and the routines break down and then you have less interaction with people and then finally the body stops. Uh, to me, that's a very vivid description of life, that it is that that routine, that constant movement. And it's really as simple as that. It's just being present for the process. Just showing up. How about that? Just show up for life. That's what living is. That's right, Vin. And, and, and a little note as we part, for all you guys who have never been through that or you're going through something, when the hospice nurse shows up, whatever's happening, cancel it. So until that person shows up, have a ball. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.